0: Today's scripture I'll be reading from the Common English Bible, it's John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Jesus' friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table then mary took an extraordinary amount almost three quarters of a pound of very expensive perfume made of pure nard she anointed jesus feet with it then wiped his feet dry with her hair the house was filled with the aroma of the perfume judas iscariot one of his disciples the one who was about to betray jesus complained, this perfume is worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and he would take what was in it. But Jesus said, leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial and that is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me.
1: text today. It's a, it's a bit of a doozy, and uh, the place where I want to start this morning is um, identifying with Judas. Judas asks a pretty fair question. Now, we get John's commentary that he's a thief, and he's skimming off the bet. He's embezzling money, and so his question doesn't come from a pure or ethical place, but question is fair. I um looked up the median household income in Seattle uh, in 2020 dollars. It's $97,185. So let's just say that's $20,20. Let's bump it up. Nice round, $100,000. That is what Mary has spent on pure nard and then just poured out on Jesus' feet. Now we're told that the whole house is filled with the incense, so everybody gets to at least enjoy the smell if you enjoy smells and are not allergic to them. But fair question, $100,000. Next, I wanna say, after identifying with Judas's fair question, albeit from a bad place, this is the sixth and final, as Debbie has already said, in our series on the Bible and economic justice. And at first blush, this text seems a little counter to all we have heard in the five weeks previous. Jesus is saying, eh, don't worry about the poor, you're going to always have them among you. This $100,000 on nard poured out on my feet is just fine. Seems a little counter to what we've heard. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna hold on to these first impressions while we then, I'm gonna walk through the text and notice a few things and wonder about them. And then we'll kind of come back to these first impressions and see how do they hold up. The first thing I wanna notice is Jesus's body. Jesus wasn't just a disembodied spirit. He was a human in a body. And it's not gonna be long after this story before his body undergoes pretty incredible suffering and pain and ultimately death. And in this moment, we have this care for Jesus's body. How wonderful that he gets that bodily experience of love and of intimacy Touch. So that's the first thing: is Jesus's body. Two things related to Jesus's body. Jesus is the one that says that Mary got this for his burial, um, but is doing it in his life. How many times have we been? Have any of you been to a memorial service and thought to yourself, "Ah, oh, only the person." That we are grieving that we've lost that is with us no more could have been part of this celebration and seen their people all gather and tell these stories about them most recently in our community that was maxine can you imagine can you imagine maxine sitting back in a gathering of her dearest and beloveds sharing stories about who she was to them and her life she would have reveled in that affirmation and joy and connection. How many times have we thought that? And here Mary is, not saving that nard for Jesus' burial, but giving him the full conscious experience of that honor and adoration and love. It makes me think of, and now I'm going to pull out my phone, our beloved Brandy Carlisle, um, uh, right, our holy saint Brandy Carlisle, who, as many of you know, worked with Tanya Tucker a number of years ago to bring an amazing album, just the most amazing comeback album, Tanya Tucker, who had been written off for decades in the country music um, world. And there's a whole commentary there to reflect on, but Brandy worked with her and helped her write this album and produce this album. And one of its best songs is, bring my flowers now while I'm living. I won't need your love when I'm gone. I'd have learned, oh, oh, don't spend time, tears, or money on my old breathless body. If your heart is in them flowers, bring them on. (laughs) I get the sense that Mary, in relation to Jesus's body. If your heart is in that nard, bring it on. The second thing I wanna note about Jesus's body is that in the very next chapter, Jesus is gonna stoop his body to the floor. He's gonna kneel in front of his friends and he's going to wash their feet. He's going to take their feet in his hands. The way Mary has just taken his feet in her hands. And he is going to give them the only command that he ever gives, and that is to love one another as I have loved you, and to keep washing one another's feet. And I can't help wonder if he got the idea from Mary. The second thing I want to notice is that when judas asks his fair question this hundred thousand dollars could have been given to the poor jesus says leave her alone this perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial and this is how she has used it do you notice that he only speaks a fact this is how she has used it what i'm noticing in the reading of it this week is that once she has poured this extravagance out on his feet, Jesus's only options are to receive it and accept it as fact or to shame her publicly. To say, yep, you're right, Judas. Mary, what are you thinking? Jesus doesn't step down the public shaming path. Thought experiment. Wheel it back a little bit. If Mary had come to Jesus the week before and said, hey Jesus, I'm thinking about spending $100,000 on a vial of pure nard that I will then pour out on your feet, what do you think? I mean, we don't know, we can't know. As far as I know, it didn't happen. We don't have our record of it in the text. Maybe it did happen. Maybe he's like, yeah, go for it. That sounds awesome. Spa day for Jesus. We can't know what would have happened? Maybe at that moment in conversation and in discernment, Jesus would have said, let's split the difference. How about $50,000 worth of nard and $50,000? Who knows what would have come from that kind of conversation? But the fact is, she spent the money, she poured it out, she made those choices, she made that decision, she enacted her love in the way that she chose to and when jo- Judas calls her out, Jesus' options are to say, Leave her alone. She has done what she has done. Or to publicly shame her. And Jesus chooses, Leave her alone. She has done what she has done. That's the second thing I notice. Jesus' body. And Jesus is speaking of fact. The third thing I notice, and. Um, you know, I actually sort of love this, the poor will always be among you. I've loved it for a long time. Years ago, when I had that sort of mind turn, when I realized the way that I've interpreted that for a long time is that Jesus is challenging Judas's charity framework. Judas is saying, we could have sold that and shipped the money off over there to the poor somewhere out there. There's this objectification of the poor, right? And Jesus is saying, the poor will always be among you among you not out there somewhere but uh, like literally in this room the poor will be among you if you are following me there's not going to be this charity framework where you're shipping money somewhere else because you will make your life with people on the margins They will be among you so that for a long time has been the way i've interpreted that I don't know how I missed it, but it, it took another commentator pointing it out to me in the last couple of weeks. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 15 here. This is straight from Deuteronomy 15. The poor will always be with you. And the rest of that sentence in Deuteronomy, and the people around the table with Jesus, they know Deuteronomy, right? They know Deuteronomy. They know that He's he's you know, quoting the greatest hits that he's He's, he's got the Bible on the mind. The rest of that sentence leads to, therefore, be open-handed with exceeding generosity. The poor will always be among you. Therefore, live your lives open-handedly with exceeding generosity, because the poor are going to be among you. So be generous. And if you zoom out to the whole chapter of Deuteronomy 15, it is one of the foundational Jubilee texts. It is all about overturning of debt economy. It is about completely restructuring the system to do away with indebtedness, to do away with enslavement, to do away with amassing property and wealth it is all about yes of course those things will happen but there's going to be that sabbath hard reset which we keep seeing in this series there's going to be that sabbath and jubilee hard reset so that when somebody slips through the cracks when someone finds themselves poor they will not pass that on to their children there will not be generational inheritance of debt or generational inheritance of wealth for that matter because there will be the reset when jesus says the poor will always be among you he is quoting from jubilee he is quoting from one of those foundational texts that challenged the hebrew people to restructure the whole system of predatory lending of indebtedness debt at all should be gone in god's reign That's the third thing. And fourth, a final wondering before I return to those first impressions. I have to give credit here again to another commentator that I heard on uh, the lectionary podcast Bible Room. And that is this is stepping out of this text a bit. But when Jesus is asked multiple times in in several gospels, what is the greatest commandment? He always quotes the Shema, that holy text for the Hebrew people, love the Lord your God, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your body, with all your strength, with everything you've got, love God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think if I had to point to sort of like a heart of what I understand faith to be, a Jesus following faith to be, I'd point to this, That it's loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's what Jesus points to, and I think it's a pretty good good summary. What never occurred to me until this week, and this is a confession, is that I conflate those two. I think in my mind, loving my neighbor as myself is loving God. And it is i i i don't dispute that i think i think that's right but for the first time this week i was thinking is there a loving god with all my heart mind soul body and strength that is distinct from loving my neighbor like what is that in sort of its distinctive and pure form is there 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 i don't know but what might it look like to love god is distinct from loving my neighbor. Again, not that they would be in conflict. They're not in conflict with one another. They are in integrity with one another. But when I, I, I anyway, I don't know if this is translating, but for me, in my head, it's a, it's a new little twist that I'm wondering about. And what I'm thinking about is that Mary has just, in the previous chapter, um, and I saw Cindy and Heath uh, on Zoom, there's a whole other sermon about Mary the Magdala, Mary the Tower. That's just a seed for for y'all. Yes, some of you know what I'm talking about, but there's a whole other seed here, Diana Butler-Bass and and others. Um, That's a a sermon for another day, and I will preach that sermon. Um, But Mary in the previous chapter has professed that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ, is the incarnate one, is God in some way, and she is one of only two people in all our gospels who do that. Peter is the other one. She is one of only two who professes that Jesus is the incarnate one of God. So in this moment, she's encountering her God. What is it like to love God, with all our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Now there is, um, we're going back to the first impressions now, but I want to name that there is a real and relevant tension here. It is real and relevant for us, Seattle Mennonite Church. We have done the hard work in the last Couple of years built on years of discernment prior to that to release our property, to release the great wealth of land that we have amassed here for the building of affordable housing. Thanks be to God. And we are about to spend a mountain of money on building a space for us as part of that development right there's gonna there's gonna be a little church space street level call it a little church space but let me just tell you that price tag is going to be in the millions we're reinvesting the money that we're getting from selling our land under market rate to our partners community roots housing uh to do this housing so this is all great but we are going to be building out our space and we have a lot of design ahead of us we have a lot of questions that we're going to have to wrestle with tension that we will be holding as we value like I just know this in myself being in spaces that evoke awe and wonder they can be transformative They can be transformative for individuals and for communities there is value in beauty And beauty doesn't mean necessarily opulence, right, but there is value in beauty and creating beautiful and sacred spaces that provide a home for our community to seek refuge with one another to seek connection with one another to be challenged. um, To be comforted to be sent out into the world to be Christ's hands and feet to gather as we remember ones who have passed on there is value in creating that sacred space and. Radical release in care of our neighbors. Radical release of wealth and not spending it on ourselves. So we're going to be living with that tension. We are always living with that tension in our households. And now we're going we're to have that in a very real way as a community. So returning to the first impressions of Judas's fair challenge of Mary's $100,000 nard pouring out. What I notice as I went through these points, Jesus's body and Jesus's statement of fact, refusing to shame her, of the call back to Deuteronomy and the Jubilee economy, and this loving God with all our heart, souls, mind, and strength. What I notice is that Judas is still in the scarcity mindset with his question his question supposes that there can only be one or the other. There can only be extravagant pouring out of love and care for Jesus or care for the poor. What he's saying is there's a limited amount of resources and you've got to make a choice, one or the other. And it feels that way. It feels that way in our household budgets and in our church budgets. Sometimes there's a limited amount of resources and we have to make a hard choice. But the more I live in these texts, the more I think it's a false choice. It is a false either or choice. That God's economy somehow is abundance. It is abundance and there is enough. Like we said in our called to worship for 6 weeks now and we will come as God's children who trust there is enough it's a false either or choice in the midst of God's abundance and i'm not going to lie it's it, it's like it's difficult to create that to receive God's abundance because it does require a restructuring of our systems it requires an overturning our debt economy it requires things that are hard and big but it is there it's there for us to receive we dwelt in jubilee for years as we were preparing for our 50-year anniversary and in some ways i feel like it's only now that i'm getting it that everything is about jubilee everything is about that hard reset that return That repair, that constant writing of the way that our sort of natural progression just goes toward injustice. And then we do the hard reset. Everything is about Jubilee, it is about a restructuring of our economy. And in that, in that Jubilee, there is enough. There is enough for lavish love of God and lavish liberation, and love for our neighbors, and we don't have to choose. That's my dream. It's my dream for us. It's my dream for the world. And uh, I get to preach it and proclaim it, and then you all have to figure it out. Slash, I'm with you. We all get to figure it out, how to live that in concrete ways, here with one another and with our neighbors may we receive God's gift of abundance. Amen? Amen.